Good morning. The gospel lesson for this Lord's Day is found in the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but onto the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ken. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, continue to move your Holy Spirit among us that the words I'm about to share will point back to your word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus Christ, that he might take up residence in our lives in ways that go deep. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. 
Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest who recently wrote a column in the New York Times entitled, This Year, Try Organizing Your Life Like a Monk. That title grabbed my attention. In the midst of all the talk about New Year resolutions during these early days of a new year, talk that thrusts us toward new disciplines, new habits, new goals, most of them forgotten or give up, given up on long before the month is over. In her column, she writes about something called a rule of life. A rule of life is something that monks and nuns and others of various faith traditions have adopted over the centuries as a way to shape and focus and bring integrity to their lives over the long haul. The most famous rule of life is the rule of St. Benedict, written in the sixth century, which organizes the lives of Benedictine monks, specifying everything from what they should wear to how they should pray, what the flow of every one of their days ought to look like. When Bobby and Ruth Ives founded the Carpenter's Boat Shop in Pemaquid, Maine, where our senior highs go every summer on their main work camp, following the rule of St. Benedict was one of their core values. Each day, they would have times of prayer, worship, work, solitude, serving their neighbors in need, fellowship and recreation. So what about you? Do you have a rule of life? Do you have a written description of the life that you believe God is calling you to, something that will shape and focus the way you spend your energy and live your days? And inspired by the fifth beatitude in this morning's Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Does your rule of life include extending mercy? And when I say extending mercy, I mean granting forgiveness, pardoning debt, bringing the highest possible interpretation to the words and the actions and the intentions of others. Is that part of who you are? Is that part of who you yearn to be? Now, we know that God is a God of mercy. Jesus' relationships, his ministry, his sacrifice on the cross reflect that. Granting forgiveness, pardoning debt. With the woman at the well, the leper that he healed, his own disciples in their times of fear, to all of us through his sacrifice on Good Friday. He extended mercy. I love the verse of that beautiful hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thou ha thy hand, has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. 
I witness, I uncover anew the mercies of God every day. It is not a small detail of our faith. It is a major detail that God is merciful. It is a reflection of God's values, God's identity, God's rule of life. The question I invite us to reflect on this morning is, do we extend mercy? Because it is so easy to extend the opposite, judgment. I do it every day with my friends, my family, my coworkers. I notice when they fall short, where they have disappointed me, where they are not perfect, I judge them. Rarely a day goes by that that doesn't happen. And the longer I have lived, the more I have learned that judgment is easy. Anyone can do judgment. Can we do mercy? That's the life-changing question that I invite us to consider. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, our deep dive into his account of the good news of Jesus Christ and all that Matthew reveals about who God is and who we are called to be as his children. We looked at Jesus' Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan, his 40 days of being tested and tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And the story continues. We're in chapter 5, the first 20 verses that Ken read of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's been said that the Sermon on the Mount is the most complete description anywhere in the New Testament of the Christian counterculture, the most succinct and profound summary of the Christian value system and ethical standard and beliefs. It paints a clear picture of the life of holiness and rightly ordered priorities and obedience that Christ calls us to. If you don't have the time to take a few courses at seminary, if you don't have interest in reading the the thick and slow-going volumes one and two of John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, the essence of Christ's teaching is summed up as beautifully as I've ever seen it anywhere in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it continues. Christ's aim was to push us from where we often prefer to be comfortably seated, viewing the world as the world loves to view itself, toward viewing the world as God views it. In the Beatitudes, Christ calls us to be a part of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God here on earth. God's reality, God's truth, God's love, God's dominion. Taking hold and being discovered and transforming one life after another, after another. And the fifth of those Beatitudes, the one I invite us to pause and take a look at more deeply just for a few moments together is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
pardon, forgiveness, mercy. They are words that express the core of Jesus' being. And not only is Christ merciful, but he calls us to be people of mercy. He tells us that when we are, we will be blessed and we will receive mercy ourselves. Treat others with mercy, so shall you be treated. Treat others with judgment, so shall you be judged. Richard Rohr wrote a wonderful book about the Beatitudes. It's where I grabbed the title for this morning's sermon, Jesus' Plan for the New World. He writes, the eight Beatitudes offer us a more spacious world, a world where I do not have to explain everything, fix everything, or control anything beyond myself, a world where we can allow a larger mystery to work itself out in us and through us. These things are done to us more than anything we can do. The Beatitudes are about changing me, not changing other people. Wonderfully, it is not about being right anymore. Who can fully do the Beatitudes right? It is about being in the right relationship, which is a very different agenda. I love how the theologian David Lose puts it, children, he says, become what they are named. Call a child bad long enough and he or she will believe you and act bad. Call a child or a teen or an adult for that matter worthless or unlovable or shameful and eventually he or she, all of us, will live into the name we've been assigned. In the same way, call us good or useful, dependable, helpful, or worthwhile, and we will grow into that behavior and identity as well. And perhaps that was part of what Jesus was moved by in speaking these words at the start of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the righteous, blessed are the merciful that him seeing us in that light and describing us in that light might inspire and motivate us to live into that new reality and to become in truth who he sees us as already. And I close with this. Some years ago, two Roman Catholic altar boys had the same experience one in Europe, one in Peoria, Illinois. The young boy in Europe, his name was Joseph, and Joseph in Europe and a young boy named Peter in Peoria had identical experiences, just a few years apart. Joseph, in the middle of the communion service in a Roman Catholic church as an altar boy, dropped the crystal chalice filled with communion wine on the steps and it crashed and broke and wine was spilled everywhere. Peter in Peoria, Illinois did the exact same thing. 
He was taking the crystal chalice from the altars, part of the ritual of the mass, assisting the priest, and he dropped it, and it smashed on the floor into countless pieces, and the wine went everywhere. And as the story is told, the priest in Europe looked at young Joseph, and he said, Joseph, get out. Get out of here and never come back again. And Joseph did exactly what he was told, never to return. And he took all the anger of that priest and he internalized it and he kept it in. He didn't let go of it. And Joseph lived out that anger and he sees that anger like a cauldron of hate within him. And that anger just grew. And when he became an adult, he changed his name to Marshal Tito and he became one of the most savage dictators, not only of Yugoslavia, but the entire world. And when Peter dropped the crystal chalice in Peoria, Illinois, it was the Sunday of all times in St. Mary's Roman Catholic Church that the bishop was present. And the bishop, when he saw the young man drop this crystal chalice, he went right over to him. And he put his arm around that young man and walked over to the microphone and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want you all to know that when I was an altar boy, I did the exact same thing. I dropped the crystal chalice filled with communion wine and I felt terrible about it as I'm sure Peter does right now. But I grew up to be a bishop. And then he smiled and he winked at the congregation and at that young boy and he said, Peter, maybe one day you'll grow up to be a bishop too. And he smiled and the congregation laughed and then they all broke out in applause. And Peter grew up to study Roman Catholic theology and history and he became not only a priest, he became a bishop. You might know his name as Bishop Peter John Fulton Sheen, who wrote 50 books in the 1950s and 60s and had a phenomenal television ministry that reached the entire United States. Protestants, Catholics, the unchurched people with the unconditional love of the gospel. Friends, do you have a rule of life? Do you have a written description of the life that you believe God is calling you to? Something that will shape and focus the way you spend your energy and live your days. And inspired by that fifth beatitude in this morning's Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Does, <clears throat> does your rule of life include extending mercy? Is that how you roll? Granting forgiveness, pardoning debt, bringing the highest possible interpretation to the words and the actions and the intentions of others. It is so easy to extend the opposite, judgment. I do it every day with my family and my friends and my coworkers.
I notice where they fall short, where they have disappointed me, where they are not perfect. And the longer I have lived, the more I have learned, and maybe you have learned this too, that judgment is easy. Anyone can do judgment. The question is, can we do mercy? Mercy.